The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. So are you doing any um, TV appearances on this anniversary date uh, on Wednesday? Not so far, no. And, and you know the nature of the business. Yes. Is you're going to get frantic phone calls the morning of. I will start getting emails from Chase producers at 2 a.m. Yeah. Oh, my God, I can't believe we didn't see this coming. Oh, God, yes, we were so distracted by the whole marijuana thing. Could you be on TV for the next six hours? Yes, please. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Ahead by a century, a look back at the last year of Gord Downey's life with tragically hip historian Michael Barclay. We'll also look at how the band influenced musicians around the world. Plus, we're going to invest in our first song via the app Vest. And I found the perfect birthday gift for the trekker in your life. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. The biggest rock and roll frontman to come out of Canada since Bill Barilko disappeared that summer in 1951 died a year ago today. <laughs> That's your intro? That's my intro. Okay. I remember uh, how it happened. I was doing my usual stuff in the morning, and then I got a call from, I think it was CTV, saying, can we get some comments about uh, the death of Gore Downey? I was like, what? What are, what are you talking about? And then the everything, you know, I got media requests all that day. I had to bring in somebody, actually, to help me uh, do air traffic control on this whole thing. And it wasn't until the day had actually ended that the news and the emotion of that uh, sunk in. And you and I talked about this, how Canada went into this collective period of mourning where the best tweet that we saw was Canada closed death in the family. Yeah. And that really summed things up. 
uh, and and people are still coming to grips with uh, the end of the hip, with uh, Gord's death, and it's it's going to be a little while before this this heals, because we're never going to see a band of that sort ever again. It's just not in the cards. He lived in my neighborhood, and whenever I walk through the neighborhood and past his house, it's the Gord Downey house, and I think it will always be Gord Downey's house as oh, far sure. as the, the neighborhood is concerned. Absolutely. I mean, if they were ever to do a heritage tour of rock and roll landmarks in Toronto, you'd have to, the bus would have to go past that house. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Amber Healy at GeeksAndBeats.com reports that the Burlington Performing Arts Centre is hosting an event today called Legacy, a tribute to Gord Downey, featuring a handful of artists, including uh, Bruce McCullough from Kids in the Hall. These guys <laughs> smoke. They smoke? Yeah. Wow. And they're bad. <laughs> And you know what? They taught a dog to smoke. <laughs> you believe that? Sure, I believe that. Yeah, well, it's true. And they taught him to bake for cigarettes. Tom Wilson, Danny uh, Mitchell, uh, Trent Severn, uh, Matthew Barber, uh, and others, sort of a, a who's who of Canadian musicians and performers generally. And then the next day, they'll uh, hop on the bus and go down to St. Catharines, Ontario, for the first Ontario Performing Arts Centre and, and do it all again. There is uh, also this week, it's, it's uh, Toronto Cocktail Week. So six days of celebrating cocktails. And part of that is a, uh, a Gord Downey tribute event tonight at the Horseshoe. And I think tickets are about 30 bucks and all proceeds go to the Gord Downey Cheney Winjack Fund. Can I order myself a road apple martini? You know what? That's a really good idea. Good one. Yeah. Good one. Michael Barclay is a tragically hip historian and author of The Never-Ending Present, the story of Gord Downey and the tragically hip. He joins us live from his book tour in Halifax. Uh, Michael, your book is subtitled The Biography of Canada's Band, and it couldn't be more true. It is true, isn't it? <laughs> well, the best thing that, any, that anybody has ever called the uh, the tragically hip is Canada's house band. Yeah, there was the the soundtrack for certainly for uh, a generation, and I think when that final tour happened, I mean, certainly there were diehard fans who filled arenas right to the end. But there, you know, there were a lot of people who fell off after the '90s and kind of took them for granted. You know, oh, they're still around. Oh, there's a new record or. You know, large swaths of the population are like, oh, that's something my parents like or something my kids like or something somebody I work with likes. Um, but that tour, everyone kind of woke up and realized, oh, yeah, that's what's special about this band. And suddenly a lot more people started paying attention. People who never cared about the Tragically Hit before were paying attention because it was a real Terry Fox narrative that really th that's what bound the country together more than their music ever did. It, it became a, a major news story, not just a, a music story and not even just for music fans. I wonder how many people actually watch that final show. I mean, we have the television numbers, but that doesn't begin to take into account the number of people that had watching parties at home or went to a bar to watch it or TVs that were set up in public places and parks and campgrounds and everything all over the country. I think the TV number was 11 million people, but I, I would say that it's closer to 15 or 16 million. I think they did try and factor in some like there's certainly the online stuff and but I don't know I mean I did a I did an event in Sarnia which is not I don't know what the population of Sarnia is it's less than a hundred thousand and they said they had like twenty thousand people in the park in Sarnia in Sarnia much like the tragically hip song and um, that's amazing to me and you know when it was first announced oh it's going to be shown at the horseshoe or it's going to be shown at the Bloor Cinema in Toronto I was like 
oh, that's great. That'll be a good collective thing to go to. And then like all these other venues started announcing other parks. I'm like, oh, I wonder if any of those will be sad. Like if only five people show up to this one venue, but like everything was packed. It'll be, you know, and that was across the country. So, and that doesn't happen outside of Olympic hockey in this country. Your analogy to Terry Fox seems pretty cogent, particularly considering we've become that much more aware of the issues surrounding his death, the brain cancer specifically, the marijuana that he was consuming to help ease the pain. And I wonder if, you know, 20 years from now, we'll look back at Gord Downey and the Wenjack Fund and everything that they accomplished after the diagnosis and through to his death as the same sort of caliber as Terry Fox. I, I think we already do. That's that's the story that it became. And, and you know, people ask me about uh, Gordowney's legacy and you know kids at my child's school know who he is without knowing a note of the hips music other than Head by a Century which plays before the bell at least once a week you know um, really yeah first thing we climb a tree and maybe then we talk or sit silently and listen to our thoughts Illusions of someday Cast in a golden light No dress rehearsal This is our The Canadian Encyclopedia, that'll be the, the first two lines of, of his entry. Um, and part of the reason I wanted to write this book was to, to remember everything else about the band. Like, I, I, as, as so important as those final two years are and how inspiring and heroic they are, um, I, I wanted to make sure we remembered why we cared about this guy in the first place. I'm glad you finally did the book in whatever way you could do it, because I first pitched the idea of a tragically hip biography back in the middle 90s. And the management and the band said, no, 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 we're, we're not ready for this sort of thing. And every once in a while, I would go back and ask about it. Um, I did get a chance to play in their archives when I did the liner notes for the fully, completely 25th anniversary box set. And I said to the management at the time, I said, geez, you know, look at all the stuff that you guys got preserved shouldn't you do something with this? And they said, yeah, maybe one day, but this is before Gord's diagnosis. And then, then after Gord died, I talked to Robbie Baker and he hinted that he might be working on something, but he was pretty noncommittal about it. He may or may not do it. Um, and I didn't want to wait. I feel like people want to hear this story now. People really want that context to process uh, what they experienced uh, during 2016. And, you know, I get asked about this a lot and about, you know, authorized and unauthorized biographies. And I, I feel like um, if and when Rob Baker does that, it'll be a very different book than mine. And it'll be very complimentary 
I'm spelling that word with an E. And I'm not saying he'll like my book, but I'm just saying it will fit nicely with my book to tell a, a complete picture. Um, and I also read a quote of him saying that, you know, he has no interest in telling a chronological history of the band, and he's not interested in talking about who influenced them or who they themselves influenced. But I am very interested in that. So that's the book uh, I wanted to write. So whatever book he may or may not write will be a very different uh, kind of book. And, and maybe it'll appeal primarily to fans, whereas I wanted to appeal to everybody fan and non-fan, anyone who's remotely interested in the story. Well, let's talk about the musicians who are influenced by the Tragically Hip. At geeksandbeats.com, Amber's article also includes a look at a variety of them, including just references like Chaos's Crab Bucket includes a shout out to Tragically Hip's Head by a Century. The Glorious Sons wrote Gordy, a track uh, that became a major moment the band played after Downey's death, and the audience just went nuts uh, when they started to sing it. Yeah, uh, Our Lady Peace have a pretty good song called um, Ballad of a Poet, I believe it's called. Right from the album Somethingness. You came out like a mountaineer Exploring beauty through the syllables and cheers And there was something different in the air Something magical, the crowd was unprepared He was long and lean, he held that stage And Jenny looked at me with reverence on her face And she said, we left our bodies there that night Cause the music shook our souls and saved our They influenced their peers, uh, people like the, the Skydiggers and, uh, you know, 5440 and, and the Reostatics and whoever else, uh, right through to, um, you know, the Sam Roberts of the world, through uh, Feist, uh, Kevin Drew, to Effed Up, to, uh, you know, the Arkells. Like, generations of Canadian musicians have been touched by this band. And, and, and not just their music, really. Well, certainly their music, but also just the way they conducted their business, um, the way they were known to be uh, gentlemen, how there was no hierarchy backstage between opening band, headlining band, crew members, you know, security detail. Everybody was part of the family uh, with this band. And now they had the luxury of being very successful very quickly. So they were able to say no to a lot of things that compromise other bands. Um, so. Uh, but by by kind of staking their claim and saying, no, no, this is how we're going to do our business. Um, that's been very inspiring for a lot of bands and a lot of indie bands who, you know, uh, 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 not everybody chooses the DIY route by choice. But um, but the, the hip, despite being a major label band and, and the biggest commercially successful rock band in the country for a long time, um, very much operated like an independent business. They didn't answer to anybody. The record company never told those guys what to do. Even their management couldn't tell that band what to do. They were very independent. I'm not really sure how the Tragically Hip came to have so much control over the career, other than the fact that they had been around for a very long time, had a very good track record, had some very savvy management, and they were able to basically tell their record company what they wanted to do. And uh, they were in very 
they didn't, you know, in, in so many ways, they were extraordinarily Canadian in the sense that uh, they didn't buy into the star properties or the star system the way other bands of their stature might have in other other parts of the world. They were very much regular guys and they wanted to keep it that way and they didn't really want to attract attention to themselves in terms of celebrity. At least that was my opinion of it. And they that was an all for one, one for all decision. And they have kept that pact amongst themselves even until today. You write in your book about the American albatross. Uh, well, there's this real myth of a Canadian failure. Uh, or sorry, that Canadians like to believe that the hip failed in the States. Um, because when they were at their commercial height in Canada, there was uh, they were they did very well in certain markets in the states, but but certainly not on a national level. They never had a national radio hit. They had hits in Texas and other places, but not national. No big video. We never saw them in Rolling Stone. We never saw them play David Letterman. So, so why is that a myth? It sounds like it's well, a fact. It's not a fact because they would play thousand seat venues across the states. And, you know, if you come to Toronto, for example, and you're playing a room the size of the Phoenix or bigger, if you're playing a Massey Hall, you're not failing. So uh, did they have arena size success? No. But as any working musician will tell you, if you're playing a thousand seat venues across North America, you're you've won. <laughs> so and the other thing is that they kept going back because audiences kept getting bigger. And a band like Blue Rodeo, for example, uh, also did very well in certain pockets of the States, but then hit a wall and just stopped going back because it wasn't worth their time or money. But it was worth it for the hip to keep going back because those audiences kept getting bigger. And um, by the end of their career, they had, you know, devoted fans across the country. And I mean, when Gord Downey died, if you're looking for a sign of American validation, when Gord Downey died, um, his name was in the tribute reel uh, at that year's Grammy Awards. Uh, I, I agree with all that, and I think a lot of people have spent way too much energy on why the hip did not make it big in the United States. Who cares? It really doesn't matter. They did make it on Saturday Night Live. They had their shot with Dan Aykroyd. They had a nice little living touring the border states and also deeper into places like Texas. But it doesn't matter. What what their perceived rejection of the, in, by the United States did was cause Canada to wrap their hands around, wrap their arms around them even tighter. And uh, that was a big contributing factor to this huge outpouring of affection and love that we saw during that final tour. If nobody else wants them, we'll take them. It doesn't matter. They're ours and only ours. Michael Barclay is a tragically hip historian and author of The Never-Ending Present, the story of Gord Downey and the Tragically Hip. He joined us live from his book tour in Halifax. Michael, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Want to show your love of the world's most popular podcast, but don't want to open your wallet? Rate and review The Big Show on iTunes and Stitcher. We're not above bribing you either. The craziest review could win you free crap from the Geeks and Beats swag store. Okay, I've just sent you an image to your email. I think I know what I'm getting you for your birthday. Oh, I see what it is now. Describe it. Okay, it is a black t-shirt. There is a next generation class enterprise. The D. The D. Uh, on heading into a star field. 
and they are heading towards what looks like a Borg cube. However, the face of the cube that is facing the Enterprise is actually a QR code. And if you grab your phone... Uh-huh, okay. Oh, do I have a reader? Point your... No, you don't need a reader anymore. Oh. iOS, um, for like the last two versions, has embedded a QR code reader into the camera. So just pull up your camera, set it to photo, point it at the the QR code, and it'll tell you what it, uh, what it does. Oh, it's not working! Resistance is futile. Oh, see, now... Oh, I want this. I want this so bad. <laughs> oh, wow. What a great shirt. Well, see, that's why I figured it'd be perfect for you for your birthday. Who's uh, who's selling this? I, I found it on the face plant. Um, uh, let me click on it here. It's from uh, LeanneStyle.com. It's a limited edition. It's only 23 U.S. dollars for a unisex cotton tee, so both you and your wife can wear it. Well, <laughs> she's actually a next generation fan. I, I, you know what? I like that. I, I have to have it. I have to have it. Awesome. That's a that, that's a good one. Okay, you 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 done good. So a little while back, we interviewed Steve Stewart, the CEO of Vest, which was that company that allowed you to take a share in a song, kind of like a share in a company, and like a company's dividends, you would get a piece of the royalty stream. Yeah. So. The app has launched. I downloaded it on my phone. Yeah. I have it in front of us. And we're going to have to create... Um, my suggestion is that we create a Geeks and Beats account mm -hmm. and invest in one of the songs that they're currently offering. Now... How much of our money are you going to blow on well, this? Well, no, no, you're going to do it. You control the purse strings. <laughs> How much money am I going to blow on this? Well, what do you think? Um, is there a minimum? Is there a maximum? Like $5, $20, $50... All the way up to $100,000. Yeah, we're not doing 100 grand. No, why don't we drop 50 in it? Do we have 50? F we have 50. Drop 50 in it. All right. And so what is the metric for success? What kind of return on investment am I expecting here as the chief financial officer of geeksandbeats.com? Um, I don't know. Um, this is a terrible pitch, man. You don't even have a PowerPoint deck. Oh, so we will have, sorry, we will have 0.1667% of the song. So our return will be less than two-tenths of a percent on whatever profits it generates. On whatever profits it generates? I guess so, yes. Over three years. We're not even guaranteed our 50 bucks back then. Again, a speculative stock play. Okay, so who are we going to invest in? Maestro. As in Maestro Fresh Wes? This jam is amplified, so just glide. Glide. And let your backbone slide. Slide. No, 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 another Maestro. This is a brand new song from 2018. Okay, I'm a little more enthusiastic about this. You're talking about Maestro Harrell? Yes. He starred in the HBO series The Wire. Right. Uh, and he was on the ABC Commodore... ABC comedy uh, Suburgatory, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Now, what's interesting is that his goal, he only wants $1,380. That's his funding goal. That sounds like a night at the club. 
Well, that's two bottles of Cristal. I mean... That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Um, Although I, I'm a little more confident because he does have a track record. Uh, he right. was he made his motion picture film debut in Alley, directed by Michael Mann. He played Cassius Clay, a younger version of him, um, right. in the film. Will Smith was in that movie, so was Jamie Foxx and John Voight. He was in Barbershop. His voice is on The Twilight Zone. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So since this guy's been singing and dancing since the age of two, maybe there's an opportunity to make a little bit of cash. Well, let's let's go. I mean, all right, fine. So so do you want to do Maestro then? Yeah. Okay. Let's put some money into Maestro. Okay. We'll put fifty bucks into Maestro. I'll wire it to you now, and um, we'll do constant updates on the reams of money we're making from this. Okay. Again, we we it did sound like a really good idea. Again, what this allows the everyday music fan to do is invest in the future revenues of a song. Uh, and I guess they have to use, I guess we can use PayPal on this. I'll figure it out. But yeah, send that to me. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, put a couple of bucks down on them. We'll call up Jim Cramer on CNBC and yeah, find out what exactly. he has to say. <laughs> Time now for Geeks and Beats News Update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We want to say thank you to Mike Tweedy. He is the co producer of the Big Gord Downey episode. Thank you. Yay. Yes. Shelled out 25 bucks, uh, and that's what made him a co-producer on the show. And it's just like Hollywood. You don't do any actual work on the show. All we do is say thank you, and we move on. We also want to say thank you to former intern Charles Coons. Uh, Charles was a member of the World's Worst Intern Program by donating a buck an episode via our Patreon account. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, we'd really appreciate it if you would, because we got to get Alan down to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas in January. We uh, can uh, be uh, found at Geeks and Beats. Com. Click the support the show link. If you don't like Patreon, you can just support us via PayPal. There's also a recurring feature on PayPal, too. So if you want to do it on a month by month basis, as opposed to a one off, uh, too. So thank you so much for supporting us, Charles. And Mike, thanks for being the Big Shot co-producer on this week's show. We got an update behind the scenes as well. I fired the newsroom. <laughs> yeah, the entire newsroom. <laughs> Hey, listen, journalism is in a precarious situation these days. Yeah, it sounds a lot worse than it, it actually is. I want to say thank you to everyone who helped make the big show possible uh, over the course of the, the last several years or so. We did have a newsroom where if you wanted to to uh, participate in the production of the show or on the website, you could go to uh, geeksandbeats.com and become a, a writer on the program. Uh, we have the best writers in the whole world. We have so many of them that we want to say thank you for supporting us uh, as we move on with a a new chapter for the the big show. Ann Kaminer, Alyssa Clarkson, um, Brent Chittenden, uh, Krista Sampson, Derek Dresser, Dr. Proximo, who just made a trip out east, uh, Aaron Lawrence, Shane Alexander, Gabriel Bossi, Jay Moon, Jason Tolman, Krista Holmes, Lanessa Tremblett, Matt Padani, Matthew Smith, Mark Fraser, Peter Christensen, Patrick Charles, Amber Healy, Steve Feek, Vanessa Azoli, and Vasem Yanovkian. How much is this going to cost us in severance? Hang on. Are you not impressed that it took me all this time to figure out how to pronounce Vasem's name properly? And I it wasn't until after we fired him. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Yeah. Uh, back to my question. Uh, what's the severance cost on this? Well, it is uh, about 40 percent of the salary. 
Okay, good. All right. And since we weren't paying them anything at all, yes, um, there was absolutely no severance whatsoever. What it came down to was everyone's simply busy, and uh, the 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 website articles never drove people to subscribe to the show. So either you were a podcast listener or you were a website reader. Never the twain had met. And so, um, considering everybody's life is just so busy, and we had uh, fewer and fewer articles being published, I thought, you know what? Let's let's reset this and come about it from a different perspective. So maybe we'll do some more of this kind of uh, crowdsourced work in the future. But uh, in the meantime, uh, we're going to move on with more specialized episodes. Yes, uh, whatever that means. <laughs> By the way, I did run into somebody at the dog park who says that they're going to uh, kick in a few bucks for the uh, trip to Vegas. Oh, awesome. You need to spend more time then at the dog park. I know. Park. I, got, I got an appointment this afternoon, 430. Excellent. Um, make sure you bring business cards. Uh, yep. N- next week, we'll look back at the first week of marijuana legalization in Canada. This is a fascinating sociological, economic, political, demographic experiment. We haven't seen anything like this since 1927 when Canada repealed prohibition. And I have no idea how this is all going to turn out. The Toronto started an interesting piece on the fact that um, we did have prohibition in this country, and they looked at what happened in the immediate aftermath of the repealing of it. And it was interesting because I remember very early in my childhood um, being dragged with my parents to the liquor store and them having to fill out a form to receive their booze. And that was what was born in Ontario out of repealing prohibition. And it's kind of the same thing happening now with a website based fill out a form and get your weed delivered to your door. Yeah, I uh, I remember going with my dad uh, to the liquor store and there was an order pad. This was at the back of the drugstore. They were the outlet in our Manitoba town. You went to the back of the drugstore. There is this very stern person behind a counter. You had to fill out what you wanted. And there were actually bottles on display behind the counter. So you could point to what you were actually looking for, or at least know what to put on the order form. That person would disappear into the back room and come out with your bottle or bottles wrapped in a brown paper bag. And then you would slink out of the drugstore with, uh, with your hooch. And uh, that, by the way, continued in Ontario until 1993 in some locations. I know. That's why I remember it as a child. Something born out of the 20s. Yes. And it just shows you how Canada, you know, this paternalistic attitude towards something like alcohol, which has been legal for, you know, since 1927, is is pervasive throughout the society. I mean, just look at the beer store in Ontario right now, where it's it's like the Soviet era place that is the most consumer unfriendly thing that you can possibly imagine. Well, that was by design. Um, as I understand it, the nature of the fill out a form to get your booze concept came out of uh, the, the Scandinavian countries where they had disinterested management. That was a term. The idea being is we don't want to encourage it. We're not going to discourage it. We're just going to make it awkward and uncomfortable for you to get what you want. Therefore, ensuring that we don't fuel the alcoholism that triggered the temperance movement in the first place. Uh, well, okay, but it stuck around for a lot longer after we learned how to drink properly. So next week, 
live on the air, you and I are going to order weed. What do you say? Sure. All right. Uh, And you can have it delivered to your place. (laughs) Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.